The Punisher, Season 2, Episode 7, One Bad Day. This is Defenders TV Podcast, Episode 213, where we're talking about The Punisher, Season 2, Episode 7, One Bad Day. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We are here and we are talking about a very bad day, but maybe for Frank, maybe for who knows. Well, if you listen to us over the next course of an hour and a bit, you know what? You'll find out. I am Chris Jones and I am joined by the illustrious co-hosts on Defenders TV Podcast. Lads, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. Hello, and I am illustrious John. Yes, you are very illustrious. I mean, illustrious, excuse me. Uh, yes, we're back for this episode, episode seven. We're nearly halfway through. We actually are mm-hmm. halfway through season two <laughs> of The Punisher. Yeah. That, ah, like, Chris, we maths. could nearly be, but yeah, it, Thanos snapped and suddenly this is the end. Actually, there is no more episodes. It's just black screen <laughs> from here on out. Um, Frank's just driving the car and then... Doof, Yes. Nothing happens. Frank. Spoilers for Infinity War, I guess. <laughs> as it as it happened, Frank was like, ah, my hero. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but if you were joining us for the very first episode, well, you've got a, 212 other episodes to enjoy. But more importantly, why not come over to Facebook and join us on our group at facebook.com slash group slash Defenders TV Podcast. Or actually, we want to hear your feedback too. So why not send it in via email at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or why not pop over to the website at DefendersTVPodcast.com where you can leave your dulcet tones in the form of a voicemail for us, which will insert schmack bang into this episode. Well, not this episode, the previous episode or the next episode. <laughs> Who knows how wibbly wobbly time works. Hopefully in a future episode, yes. Yes, hopefully in a future episode. But, you know, we're fans of Doctor Who, so who knows what can happen, time streams and all that. I'm not changing any old episodes, Chris. <laughs> but yes, definitely, please send in your thoughts about this season. Uh, there's loads of episodes to go, another six episodes of this season to go, and we're really picking up at this point when we get to One Bad Day, the seventh episode of the show. This is traditionally the episode of all of the Netflix shows that have the big moment or the big kind of um, cliffhanger. And I don't think there's been a bigger cliffhanger than this one right in the middle of a scene as it fades to black and you're going, oh my God, how the hell am I talking about one episode when this has just gone to black? I thought Netflix had gone down, Uh actually. (laughs) I thought we were witnessing a high-speed broadband blackout. Yeah. (laughs) I just got really annoyed. I didn't know what was happening. Yeah, Until the credits started rolling, I was like... Um, 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 is this, oh wow. Cause we've talked about how Netflix is great at cutting at the end where it makes you want to go to the next episode. Mm-hmm. Usually it's some form of, like you said, cliffhanger. But the scene ends properly. And this one they just went, now nah, do you know what? Let's just cut here. <laughs> and then I'm assuming one of the director's producers is going, but I filmed another two minutes. Yeah. And they're like, oh no, no, we'll cut. Here. <laughs> well, gentlemen, let's get into what actually this episode is about. Mm-hmm. So, Derek, do you want to give us some of the episode details? Sure, yeah. Uh, this episode was written by Felicia Henderson. Uh, Felicia Henderson's done a couple of episodes of The Punisher before. Uh, this is her third episode. She wrote Cold Steel uh, and Danger Close, which is uh, season one, episode eight, and season one, episode 11 uh, for The Punisher. So, third episode of The Punisher. Definitely has a handle on the characters here, without a doubt. Uh, this episode is directed by Jet Wilkinson, another alumni of The Defenders. We've spoken about her 
many, many times before. She's the Australian director um, who's done Iron Fist uh, Season 1, Episode 9, did The Mistress of All Agonies, did uh, Punisher Episode 12, the penultimate episode of that season, uh, which was Home. And she did Jessica Jones, a.k.a. FaceTime, which is Episode 6 of Season 2. And she's also just done an episode of Daredevil on the final season, Season 3. Uh, she did the episode Reunion, the 11th episode of that season as well. So loads and loads of work with the Nintendo for Jet Wilkinson. They definitely know their way around these characters. Yeah, and I wasn't sure it was the same Jet when I actually saw the credits because it's a completely different cinematography style than usually what we get with her. For me, this is her breakaway moment almost as a, a director um, because it is so unique, even the starting shots. Mm-hmm. The style that she went for was just different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like She's done hundreds and hundreds of episodes of TV and uh, loads and loads of stuff. These are just the work that she's done on Defenders and definitely done some very different styles in all those shows, uh, without a doubt. But this is a big one. Yeah, definitely a big episode. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episodes? Sure. As Dina Madani attempts to reconcile herself with her testimony about the incident at the carousel, her quest to find out who the pilgrim is hits a problem, as, like Frank Castle, no records exist of his identity. Meanwhile, Billy Russo cuts his relationship with Dr. Dumont short as he and his group of veterans prepare to rob a payday loan business. However, Curtis Madani and Frank find out about the plan after tracking and interrogating one of the veterans, Jake. But while Frank and Curtis go after Billy, Madani, still unsettled by the brutality of the interrogation, calls for backup in the shape of Detective Sergeant Mahoney. Outside the payday loan business, Frank confronts Russo and his gang wearing the stuff of nightmares. Someone's nightmares, definitely. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, to be honest, I mean, he pretty much takes most of the people out uh, other than possibly the sniper on the roof and, of course, Billy Russo, mm-hmm. who miraculously avoids any bullets. Did it? Was it miraculous or was it targeted? Because even I went, oh, my God, that guy just got shot in the head as in mm-hmm. over his shoulder behind him. I'm like, no, no, Frank wants to be up close and personal with this one. Oh, a hundred percent. There yeah. is no way that Frank's going to just you know, possibly injure Billy from across the other side of the road. He's going to go make sure this is the job is done this time. Uh, loads to talk about in this episode. Let's get on through our bullet points, guys. Yes, let's start with bullet point number one, the confession of Dina Madani. I think this was important to kind of highlight uh, about Dina Madani because we haven't heard about her confession at all. We haven't heard about what actually happened between herself and uh, the members of Homeland Security and the members of CIA. Uh, here we start off with her flashback, uh, her sitting in bed and effectively being told she has to take a lot of the blame for what's going on. If they want to cover up the fact that Frank was there, she has to take the blame in effectively saying that she chose the wrong guy to sleep with, as she says herself. Make herself look like a weak woman who chose the wrong sexual partner, and that's what led to the death of so many members of the CIA. What did you think of the scene, guys? I thought it was really, really good. I loved um, this whole thing with Madani. I think, actually, this was a really strong episode for Dina Madani. Um, It felt real. It felt like exactly what would happen um and I, I really enjoyed how it starts off with this whole confession i love the fact that we also have her playing off um you know the deputy director of mm-hmm. the cia played by mary elizabeth uh mastrantonio mm-hmm. um i absolutely still love her from uh robin hood prince of thieves so 
I forgot all about that after season one. She's just the character from season one of Punisher now. <laughs> to me, no, so much no, better than no, anything. She's that still made Marion. Um, we just need someone in the Punisher called Robin so she can scream it really uh, at the top of her voice like she does uh, in the movie. Anyway, moving back to the Punisher, um, I really liked how these two played off. I mean, you know, I was there listening to Marion thinking, you know, this makes sense. You know, she, she talks about telling these lies that sometimes that you don't feel comfortable with them, but they have to be done. It's part of this job. And we kind of have a reprise of this meeting, you know, a year later down by the river in New York. And I, I actually really like how these two characters play off one another. I think there is a mutual respect here um, for sure, but it's uneasy, um, their oh, yeah. relationship, absolutely. But I do think there's... Um, so there is an element of mutual respect here. And I really thought it was a great relationship to have put across on, uh, on this, uh, episode. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I think the Madani confession, you see how she battles with it all the way through this episode. So it's great context for what comes, I think. Yeah. And you're right about the mutual respect. There is that moment that Marion says to her, you know, this is a way of keeping you in the business. People like you are people that we really need here. And just by making this one little lie, that means you stay in your job and we keep you on board. Yeah. And the, the actual, the lines preceding that, where she's along the lines of, I've never directly killed someone mm-hmm. or fired my weapon at someone, but yeah. I've sent men and women into action and they've died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know how that feels and how you're feeling, but you are a woman who's in charge, which actually adds context because it was niggling at me more over time, which is in theory, she should have been stripped of her special agents in charge. Um, and it kind of even now, like she's basically admitted in this confession that she was duped. She was calf, not catfish, but uh, what do they call the, um, there's actually a name for this where a spy goes in and hoodwinked. Uh, well, hoodwinked, but no, there there's another term for it. Um, where essentially a spy goes in honey trap. That is it, the honey trap, where a spy goes in and basically starts a relationship with yeah. their mark in order to get stuff out of them. Yeah. And that's what she essentially she's confessing to, um, and that this got people killed. And it was Billy Russo. She slept with him, and which is a weird question. Where did you first sleep with Bully Russo? And I'm like, what? Is she gonna say the office? Like, <laughs> is that like what were you looking for with that question? <laughs> I think it was time. His timing wasn't it? And as well, she is actually admitting to what what happened. She just wasn't really aware of it at the time that Billy was using her. Billy was yeah. actually trying to get into her files and trying to get access to what was going on. That's absolutely was what was happening at the time. Um, but a very painful admission for Dina Madani, who's a very strong character in the show as well, you know. Um, I think it's really interesting that she lays it out as plainly as she does. She says, if I agree to this, this protects Rollins as a decorated war hero. And Ahmed Zubair is buried in an unmarked grave with nobody taking the blame. So effectively, everything that happened at the end of season one, that kind of punch the air moment at the end of season one, when Frank Castle has punished the people responsible for the death of Ahmed Zubair, his family, and the transfer of all of the uh, all of the drugs out of Kandahar to the US, that's all kind of thrown by the wayside now. That's all yep. been written out of history. So the revenge element of season one is now gone. This is all starting back up again 
in episode seven of season two. Yeah, and it's I, I think it's really interesting that when they meet again in present day by the river, and she says, you know, have you changed your mind? Is that what you want to do? And she's like, I'm happy that you, if you want to change your mind, Madani. Um, I, I love the fact that Marion really straight talks it. She goes, you know, I'll survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so will Raffi. Uh, but you will lose your job and you will um, then set the entire law enforcement of the US against um, Frank Castle. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like that. Again, I, I think this is um, such a great character development for Madani mm-hmm. to have Marion there and for Madani herself. I love as well that when she gives the the whole tape um, of well, her confession uh, and statement about what happened, I, I love the fact that to begin with, you know, um, Marion just stops it, looks at the person there to take and conduct the interview and kind of just shakes her head, doesn't say anything so she's not captured on the device I think it's real, like, accurate how they're portraying how someone would intervene in that so as not to be seen to intervene, you mm-hmm. know? And then she goes, interview suspended. But then Madani comes back after she has delivered her, effectively, her undermining statement of, of her own uh, strength, really, uh, you know, as a, as a professional, by stating for the record, um, and in a sense, an official memory of... Uh, Stein, her partner, mm-hmm. who warned her off uh, getting involved with Billy Russo. I thought that was really good. Yeah. I re- just before we kind of move on to bullet point two, I do want to call out specifically what Jet did here with the cinematography, mm-hmm. like the 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 strange f- focus haze yeah. that was done, the drops of blood, the cuts to drops of blood and water, uh, the 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 way they portrayed through through the actual. Um, seen uh, Madani's stress and the, the, the injuries she was under, she had sustained mm-hmm. while still giving this injury. So you see her head was wrapped up. You saw then Madani obviously like holding her head, but the focusing in and out, the stress levels, um, kind of, there was actually, I, I noticed very, it was throbbing almost with her pulse where you could hear it in the background ever so slightly mm-hmm. the her pulse quickening as she got angrier and angrier yeah yeah um and it started to throb in those scenes in time with this kind of dull thud yeah and i was like that's such a unique way of kind of portraying that head injury that she had had mm-hmm. and probably the haze that she had in her eyes and things like that yeah absolutely and it's and it's also obviously this is her memory this is her revisiting this moment as well so you're wondering if she's questioning whether this is something that she was forced into at the time because it was very soon after she got shot in the head effectively by Billy. Yep. Um, is that why she's revisiting the moment in this way because she was under so much stress and pressure to accept this uh, to accept this moment? But there's so much more that goes on with Dina Madani. Let's go on to bullet point number two because it does go back to the conversation we were on at the end of episode six where we kind of thought that Frank had pushed on them that he was going to go out and kill him, he was going to take care of it. But it actually goes back to that moment when Frank says, I'm going to take care of Billy, and revisits the conversation in a slightly different way, where we have Dina and Frank and Curtis kind of convincing themselves that this is the best way to proceed by killing Billy, that it only ends with Billy dead. Yeah, like, I loved this continuation of the the, the three-way kind of conversation between Mm -hmm. them. 
or not even a conversation. It was almost to a degree Curtis and Frank having already decided and kind of mm. forcing Dina to agree to this, uh, which I found really unique. Like she was still holding to that conviction mm-hmm. um, that this is not the way it should be done. Like it has to be the legal route. But at the same time, you can see and hear her excuses. Mm-hmm are not as strong. They're faltering over and yes. over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like, she's like, oh, we can't do this. Or blah, blah. Now, when they found Jake and they're going off to the, the, the store to intervene, um, she goes out, no, I have to call the cops. Yeah. Like, you, I, I can't go down this route anymore. Mm-hmm. I, but then, literally, what seems like 10 minutes ago, she had already talked to Frank and then went back in with Frank to continue... The interrogation. Um, yes. So y- you can see this flip. I don't want to call it flip flopping, right? Mm-hmm. But it's this conflict within Madani that is. She thinks in order to be the special agent in charge, she must follow the rules. Yeah. This is the way the law works, etc. But then at the same time, she's starting to understand that the Punisher's methods gets results, and some people are like lame horses. They have to be put down. Yeah, and, and I think we'll talk about the other part, the Jake piece. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But yeah. I think this piece with Dina herself making this decision does actually come from that conversation with Marion, um, where Marion says to her, well, look, your problem's going to be solved here. I don't get why you're getting so judgery about this. Frank's back in town. Billy's there. Frank wants to kill Billy. Let them kill each other and you just walk away. It's fine. <laughs> don't, don't get nervous about that. You know, that's the way things are. I also find it interesting that Curtis is kind of going, he won't say the words. He won't say, Frank, I want you to kill Billy, which is actually Frank is looking for one of them or both of them to say, we agree with you. You go ahead and do it. Curtis is going, I agree. This is the only way to go. But he doesn't say the words to Frank at all. So there's kind of a little bit of dithering on his side as well. Yeah, I mean, I think this is really about the conflict within... Uh, Dina Madani and and again I think this is why um, this is such a good episode Mm -hmm. um, because she wants to become that professional law enforcement she she prides herself on having been that professional law enforcement agent for Homeland Security yet at the same time like in in this therapy threesome uh, you know she sees um, in her head this whole thing with Billy of her um, having sex with him in the shower, the gunshot to the head mm-hmm. being replayed in her mind again and again. So, you know, the conversation with with Marion, it, it's all in conflict. And it's kind of like she's, I mean, for me, I kind of took it that she goes ahead with it or she goes along with it, I should say, because, well... She's just trying to figure it out. And then when it's there in that moment, obviously she has other ideas. She, she sees a brutality there. Mm. But, um, and this is what's so good. There's all these different conflicts going through her head all the time. Uh, and in the end, at the moment, uh, or at this moment in the episode, she just kind of goes with that river flow mm-hmm. and gets taken along by Curtis and Frank. I feel. And it's only later on in the episode that we get that repetition of the the blurred vision. Um, and she sees that, I think she says that line, we would be no better than Billy Russo. And that's kind of where she, I think, takes uh, the stand uh, to Frank. Mm. It's dubious. It's all dubious. And that's because she's 
in conflict with herself. And so it leads to massively inconsistent choices that she makes during that that moment. Um, but ones that absolutely, from my um, from my side, feel correct yeah. for her battling with all these different feelings and impulses. Yeah, de- definitely. And again, you know, there, there are two different choices. The choice originally is send Frank out to find Billy, shoot him in the head and kill him. That's choice number one. Second choice later on is to find Billy's gang who are robbing a a payday loan operators with loads of innocent people around and for Frank to be unleashed at all of those in a busy street in New York. You know, those are two completely different choices, I think. And I think Din is providing a viable option in the later uh, moment, which we'll talk about. What I did want to really call out was that PTSD moment in the shower. Mm -hmm. So the mix between the gunshot, the sex, the shower. We talked about how these shows portray PTSD and um, Mm -hmm. typically mental illness is portrayed well in a lot of these. I think this could be one of the most interesting and kind of very thought-provoking takes on it because she was, Mm -hmm. she. this is someone showing that like to be a war veteran and have PSD, you don't need to be in Kandahar. You don't need to be in Iraq, Iran, like in the war zone. The war zone is on their home turf and she was still Mm -hmm. shot in the head and these things are meshing and really straining her psyche. Um, and we talked about how she, kind of we seeing this deterioration of the strong character, but then at the same time building up this additional Madani, this new Madani. Actually, what we're seeing, I think, is almost like how she's trying to kind of piece it all together and hold it together. So we're seeing this very strong Madani yeah. um, in, um, say, the lab, which we'll talk about later, but then mm-hmm. seeing this vulnerable woman who is in a shower thinking about all mistakes reliving that moment where the bullet tore through her head like it's just such a power it was a very powerful scene i thought definitely yeah i think they get the balance right really well because it's not her thinking about the timeline of what happened or or reliving the timeline she's almost got equal balance in her memory in these moments between the times when she had sex in the shower with, with gorgeous Billy and the time when he shot her in the head. Yeah. She's almost got equal balance between the two and both are as visceral and as memorable to her as each other. So can she separate all of those memories out together to make a decision as to what to happen, what happens with this guy yeah. or is all of it all muddled up in her head as to how she decides what to, how to proceed? Yeah. You know, it's, there's so much going on and it's a really well put together scene. Definitely. Yeah. So, Derek, I think we've talked a lot about Medallion. We're going to chat more about her in a bit. Do you want to take us mm-hmm. on to our next bullet point? Yes, let's go on to Dr. DeMont and Billy. Um, the, pe- the pain-pleasure connection is our bullet point number three. Um, we finally get a little bit of the backstory of DeMont. We've seen the scars and uh, on her body. Um, I jokingly wrote this down as her telling Billy her elaborate backstory as she's lying in bed with him after they have sex. And she goes, everybody asks... Everybody asks the question, go ahead and ask the question. He asks the question, what happened? Where did you get the scars? And she goes, I was nine. I fell over. It took two years to heal. And then I was put back together. And Billy goes, was it an accident? And she goes, yep, guess so. That's it. That's her elaborate backstory as to how she got these scars. You would kind of think if someone's goading somebody else on to, to ask them the question, they have a pre-prepared story that asks answers all of the questions <laughs> that someone's going to ask. There's nothing here. I don't, I don't know what whether... What, I don't know what you guys felt about it, but this felt like 
a really weird way to respond to someone asking that question. Because it doesn't feel like there's any peace of mind being offered to anybody that asked that question. Yeah, it's it's still a little cryptic, um, to be sure. I mean, given that she has this vertigo issue, I kind of feel that she probably just fell out of a tree or something like that, um, hitting quite a lot of branches on the way down, judging mm. by all that, that scarring. Um, but certainly, yeah, I mean, it kind of... It's a little more intriguing than sort of being helpful to answer the reasons for those scars because uh you know was it an accident that some of them look pretty deep i mean one of them is like along her spine yeah so when she's saying that she was put back together again uh, and given some of the moves that she was throwing with billy in bed <laughs> a minute beforehand i was like thinking has she really got that movement going uh mm-hmm. given what would seem to be a pretty horrendous spinal injury and i mean i do like the moment where she says it took me it took two years to put her back together i do like that idea of humpty dumpty um kind of being put back together again mm-hmm. um so yeah i still think it's a little cryptic it's a shame as well i feel that it seems as though this relationship has been pulled up very quickly after them kind of having this um or releasing the sexual tension or or the unsaid element between their relationship you know with him hot being harbored by her and um it's a shame that it seems as though billy is like saying i'm leaving you now so that you don't get into trouble i i'm hoping they come back uh together i fully expect that's where billy's going at the end of this episode he's going back to her to try and sort his head out after this episode i think the one thing i would have expected from her conversation was you know ask me the question everybody asked me the question i was nine i fell over a combine harvester ran over me and then i was in hospital for <laughs> a month or two and then i was put back together and it took two years to get my body back together you know i, I wanted something a little bit bigger than i fell over because it sounds like she tripped um no, nothing else happens it just sounds like she tripped yeah well she didn't no she didn't there's a lot more there no so this is for me is going one of two ways one they didn't really think about her origin story and they wanted to focus on the pain pleasure piece, which is yeah. she she gets lots of pleasure from pain. So there's additional scarring on her arms and things yeah. like that. And that's basically like, how how did that happen? Well, OK, let's just say she had a terrible accident as a kid. There you go. She yeah. fell she fell out of a tree and we'd put her like the Humpty Dumpty. We'd put her back together. And that's where she learned to get pleasure from pain. Um, yeah. I think that the. I'm hoping it's not that because I haven't seen other characters who are as almost central being as mm-hmm. being treated that way. But yeah. I, I'm again hoping we get more to it. Um, yeah. But also potentially not. Potentially they're just going to focus. I think they want to more create this character. I'm going to call her Harley Quinn. This is essentially what we're getting. And I'm sorry. Like I, I, I wanted to steer away and was hoping they might steer more, or become more elaborate or kind of depth in the relationship. But essentially, they're good doing a Harley Quinn story in mm-hmm. that, like, she's now becoming enamored with Billy to yeah. the point where he's now completely in control. He, he like, as she leaves, she, she was going to pull the gun on him and make, force him to stay. And so basically, if he comes running back, she's going to jump back into his arms. Yeah, and exactly. It's very much, it, it is, like, she will, if, and it's very much turning into, as I said, the Harley Quinn, which is, if Billy says, shoot someone, 
uh, most likely she will probably do it mm-hmm. because she's going to become so infatuated with him. And the, 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 she even managed to face more, a longer period of staring down at the window while she yeah. watched him go than yeah. she would usually. Yeah, I mean, I think the really interesting thing here is that at the same time as this scene, this pain-pleasure connection, this um, sort of development within with their relationship, you know, we see Madani's relationship, as you said, that honeypot. You know, we have Billy here, in effect, again, using his charm mm-hmm. to have power over Dumont here, another woman in this tale, as we see the the hurt and, and the conflict caused in Madani by the fact that she failed to listen to her partner's warnings and that she was used uh, for him to get information about uh, Frank Castle. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of, it, it mirrors it really a bit here. Yeah. Um, and again, it's to what extent will he use and abuse Dumont, I think. He well, absolutely. You even see it in the line that he says after he's taken Dumont's gun, Crystal Dumont's gun, from her drawer when she goes to get it. The line he says to her is, while he's pointed the gun back her, he says, the last woman that pointed a gun at me got a bullet in the head. Neglecting to mention that was also the last woman he slept with. Yep. That he had a relationship with her, just like he has with Dumont. Yep. You know, he just is manipulating the situation to go, this is how... Um, this is how I deal with everybody around me, and you're going to have to accept that. And after we've had sex, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling so much more together now. Now I'm going to go out and join my friends and go and rob a bank, basically. You know, it's like this is Dumont. She works for the government. She's supposed to be the one that's putting him back on the straight and narrow, and she's put him back together. As we heard in episode one, she's put that jigsaw back together, and he's a guy that wants to go out and rob a bank. You know, she's completely messed this whole thing up if it's all on her. Yeah. You know, I'm going to start calling her puzzle. Um, because he's jigsaw, she can be puzzle, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the, their own dynamic <laughs> duo. Um, yeah, yeah. look, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see where they're going with it. I will be disappointed if they just take that. Replication is the sincerest form of flattery. Um, so yes, because the, the Harley Quinn Joker storyline is a good one. It's a very yeah. good one. I like, I like it. Like, I like seeing right. the origin. Like, but, like when you've seen it done once, you've seen it done. Yeah. So I, I'm like, please tweak it. Please don't go down that route. But if you do, okay, look, she's not a major spoke in this wheel of the story. She's, mm-hmm. she's not, she's central adjacent, if we want to call her that. Like, yeah. like we don't, I think need- she's central to his story. You know, Billy wouldn't be back on his feet if it wasn't for her, you know? Um, and I think that's where he's going at the end of this episode. We, we will talk about, you know, where Billy ends and, and his reaction to what's going on uh, at the end of the episode. And I think he's going to run back to her and go, I wasn't ready to go outside. Um, you were right, kind of thing. So I think we will absolutely have Dr. Dumont back. Uh, for the rest of the season let's get on to some of the bigger moments in the episode our last our last two points bullet point number four just gonna call this jake the meth head and um, because you know jake was actually seen to be pretty upstanding member of uh, yeah. of society that we saw earlier on in the season just out having a couple of beers in a bar met up with billy and we just kind of thought that billy was talking him back into joining his gang well it turns out jake was not a very dependable kind of character really yeah like i, I think this was a, a bit of a big turn Mm. Um, because we saw him took a bit of speed in the bar, but mm-hmm. then suddenly moving from drink and speed in a bar just to give himself a bit of a kick 
to yeah, yeah no, suddenly he's a full on meth head. It's a big leap, but I'll I'll, mm-hmm. I'll go with it for the story's sake. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I really wish Jake's character had just been a little bit more consistent in previous episodes. I mean, when he was saying he was cold in the warehouse, I was like going, why is he cold? Like, <laughs> I, I was just like going, is he? Be-? And then, like, some of the other members of the gang were wearing a t-shirt, so I was like going, well, they're not cold, so what's his problem? <laughs> and then it's like he's suddenly a meth head. Okay, you know, we've seen he's got a bit of uh, of a, a drug issue with the speed, um, whilst he's drinking, but again, yeah, there was nothing really to indicate that it was going any further. Um, certainly not that he was a meth head. You know, even with the makeup, it would have been good to have seen a bit of bags around his eyes or some bloodshot eyes or, or just sort of a bit more of a gaunt look. Or, you know, in Curtis's room, that he was shivering a bit or, or seemed uncomfortable mm. or twitchy. I didn't really get that. He actually seemed quite level headed. Uh, in many respects. So, yeah, it was a bit of a turn, I think, for Jake to suddenly be like a, a meth head. But um, <laughs> nonetheless, it, it moves the story along, I suppose, yeah. um, in that, you know, never trust a meth head. I He's think a functioning one, meth head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, well, you know, one of the gangs says never trust a meth head yeah. because obviously he leaves and um, ultimately becomes... Um, the, the snitch uh, against the gang to Frank, Madani and, and Curtis who are tracking him and ultimately cap- capture him and interrogate him. Yeah, yeah. just a little pause here because the conversation between Frank and Curtis I thought was quite interesting. The fact that Frank is telling Curtis about Beth, the bartender that he met at the beginning of the season, he's saying to him that he was actually thinking of settling down with her, that this is the first woman that he's met since his wife, that he was going to get involved uh, with her and her family, he was going to get involved with the kid, uh, and because of all that, that's how it got him into this whole situation. So quite interesting for Frank to actually say that out loud. We hadn't really heard that from him. We knew that he was going to stay an extra night at the beginning of the season, but we didn't really hear that he was quite seriously thinking about staying with Beth. Um, thought that was quite an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, that that was a little surprise as well, um, in the sense that obviously we knew he wanted to hang around for another few nights, and maybe it would have developed. But um, and maybe that's ultimately what he was reminiscing all, about. Yeah, I think uh, that's all he meant. But yeah. I, I think we didn't even feel that at the beginning of the season. He we kind of were saying that possibly he has a girl in every port kind of thing. He just goes into <laughs> ten, meets a girl, goes home and sleeps her, and that's kind of the way he does it. But what he's really saying is he just travels to every single city, and this is kind of the first girl he felt close enough to since his wife, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I really liked the the chit chat between curtis and, and frank in the car mm-hmm. you know curtis really giving frank a bit of stick for being fidgety can't settle <laughs> i love the fact that they reminisce about the war days and, and just as a quick side note i re- really liked how madani challenges frank about him thinking that he's still at war he's in a yeah. war zone still and i thought that was really nice but this chit chat in the car um between these two friends uh, really, really nice. Absolutely. I was joking to John whether this was something the writers are putting in for those people who've been slagging off the Netflix shows for taking too long to get to the point. <laughs> I wonder if yeah. Curtis is kind of channeling the writers going, just sit there, watch it, enjoy it. it. You'll get there in the end. Just wait around, watch the story that's being presented to you. You will get there. It doesn't, everything doesn't happen instantly. You know, <laughs> just felt a little bit like that. Just a little bit of a laugh at that. Did. Yeah. I'm, I'm hel- hoping that Beth comes back into it. We've seen her twice. Yep, I'm absolutely expecting her to come back in. The minute he said to Curtis, I had this girl, 
and then she got shot because of me. You're going, why is he telling Curtis all of the details about this girl? You know, he could have just, you know, given her a card with her address on it, you know, just in case the um, the pilgrim comes and catches Curtis and Curtis goes, well, if you want to get to Frank, the real way to get to her is this girl, Beth, right? Because <laughs> he seemed to actually be in love with her, right? So Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, I kind of hope she doesn't really. Um, and by that, I mean, I kind of came to a realisation um, when Frank was using his family again. Uh, against Madani and just in general as the justification for everything that he does. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like thinking, I can't imagine if his family were alive that he would be a fully functional father and husband. Like, I would be scared for them. I don't know. It it really hit me. Maybe this is a bit sort of... (laughs) Uh, ingenuous maybe it's reading a bit too much into it but he's like he can't function uh, as uh, as this could you imagine him losing his his stuff uh, with his wife um, like it would just be mad I don't know why I just suddenly realised would they be better with him I don't know because he has gone crazy I think he has yeah and, and the whole story the whole creation of frank castle as the punisher is that he lost his family and that's why he's like this i'm wondering if maybe your question is more you can't see him with a new family because he's like this now because he lost his old family if his old family hadn't died he wouldn't be like this because he wasn't when they were alive he only went this way because they got killed and murdered in front of him so if he has a new family around Yes, he could possibly be tipped over the edge by losing his keys, uh, which is no. the kind of punishment <laughs> that we have now. But that's it. it. It seems to me that his family were the only possible calming influence on, on this man. And I'm like right. going, was that even possible? I know this is kind of straying a little bit off the point, but it, mm. it was just something that kind of hit me. And that's why, I, yeah, I suppose I kind of think for Beth's sake, I really hope she doesn't come back into his life because, well, there's another family uh, getting shot up, probably. Um, like, it seems, you know, it's that idea of, yeah, he may be, he may be nice with them, but he attracts trouble and he will generate trouble and it will, uh, so it's kind of like, were they better off with him? I mean, it, it, I know this is straight off the point, but it you know, just really hit me in this episode. And I think it came down from, in a way, what he was saying was that the only thing in the world that could possibly keep him calm and level-headed um, was his wife and two kids. Yes. And I'm like, is that possible? I don't know. Sorry, quickly, it's the flip of that. It's not that. They're the only thing that could possibly keep him level-headed. They were the things that kept him level-headed. And when they were murdered in front of him by his friends, that threw him over the edge and turned him into this character. So I just I, so on this, yes, uh, the what if is the, in mm-hmm. comic books is exactly that. I'm pretty sure there is probably a what if Frank's ca- family never died. Hundred percent, yeah. I think I have it in my my comic box over there. Actually. <laughs> so yeah, like I know, I know they they've investigated that. Does he yeah. still become a Punisher? Yes. Something else happens. What I see with this Beth thing is potentially in the last couple of episodes, she comes back, she's kidnapped, Frank finds her. And then the last episode is potentially her and him and the kid settling down or kind of walking off into the distance mm. because it, it's a nice neat bow yeah. um, at the end of the season if that is necessary. I have a feeling it's more likely going to be that he saves her and then sends her 
and her son into witness protection and then he walks off leaving them behind like he did at the end of season one to continue his adventures as the Punisher going around. Yeah, the, around so the like they, they, they're basically, I think they're giving themselves out, yeah. but they're also giving themselves a crux for later that when the Pilgrim really wants to get to Frank, yeah, there exactly. you go, he knows where to go. Exactly. Let's return to uh, to Jake, the meth head, and the um, pretty extraordinary uh, interrogation by Frank. Um I really do like this because once again, you see that challenge from Jake to a Marine, like he did with Billy and like all the other guys have been doing with Billy. You see him challenging Frank going, I could totally take you out if I wasn't tied down here, you know, and Frank, of course, is going to take that challenge when Frank cuts him loose and then takes him out and takes him to the ground. It's just a real Frank moment to go. I am in total control here. You have nothing and I'm going to beat you until you give me the information that I want. It's a great moment for Frank. A hundred percent. And like, we get good cop, bad cop, mm-hmm. Marine, or good Marine, bad mm-hmm. Marine. They really are expanding Curtis's yes, role. Yes, absolutely. It, like, and I'm really happy because we're deepening this character because, yes, he he's a Marine who lost his leg and was shot um, by Billy, but he hasn't lost that heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he, Frank is the the Punisher. He He literally puts knives to people's hands and skews them to a table but i think that's the great thing isn't it because curtis's method uh gets the results okay maybe it's a bit of good cop bad cop type of thing certainly you know following the act that is frank uh knife and into the the hand it's it's nice that when curtis explains it then yeah jake gives uh up billy pretty quickly i suppose jake's there going couldn't you have been the person to go first in this <laughs> but <laughs> i think you're right John. as head. you said i don't think it would have worked without frank going first without his hand being stuck to the table with a gigantic massive <laughs> knife i don't think curtis's pleading would have worked because curtis is effectively saying you think billy's crazy this guy is much worse than billy and he's the one that wants billy if you get in their way nobody can save you you know yeah. it's, it's a really interesting uh, idea but this brings us on to the madani piece that you were talking about earlier on chris um they find out where where billy is they find out he's got a plan there's going to be a, multiple people around and madani tells frank not to go after billy once again we saw this earlier on in the season once again frank is given a realistic viable option brett mahoney detective damn it <laughs> called it it's detective sergeant that's this <laughs> Once again, Frank is given a viable option here. Detective Sergeant Brett Mahoney, who commands a crew of police officers, a huge team of police officers, a full SWAT team, if he wants it. She could tell him, and he could go and take care of Billy and his gang, who are, you know, six or seven guys robbing a a payday loan place. The kind of stuff that Brett Mahoney probably deals with every day of the week. But Frank goes, no, he wants to go out and do it himself. I am the one-man army. I'm going to shoot shit up, basically. That's his plan. That's the way he goes. Um, It's an interesting side of this character, Frank Castle, to be given so many other options and ignore all of them because he wants to kill people, you know? Um, It feels like he is a man that is very vengeful and will just go and do it because that's what he wants to do and nobody's going to get in his way. I'm beginning to get to the point in this series, while I'm enjoying it, I'm definitely getting to the point where I'm not a huge fan of Frank Castle because of these choices that he makes and the positions he puts himself into, even though he's been given alternatives. Yeah, I I took it more that more innocent people will die. Mm. So, like, Mahoney goes in with a SWAT team. 
These guys are Marines and Army and stuff. They're not going to go down easy. They're going to go down firing and it's going to bloodbath. You're going to get innocents killed. You're going to get officers killed. Yes. But- where Frank's going... I can do it myself and no one will die. Obviously, that's not what happens. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> and we'll get to that one in a second. Yeah. But I, I took it as that. But you're right. It's probably that's, um, yeah, it's also Punisher just being arrogant. Well, I'm sure if you asked any member of the NYPD, they would say that is their job to put themselves in the line of fire to protect the innocents. That's what they are hired for. And that's why they wear the uniforms. Frank doesn't wear any uniform. He's out of the army. He has no reason to be there. So putting himself in the way to protect police officers in new york is a decision that he's making even giving a viable alternative by a member of law enforcement you know yeah, um, that's true. it just feels like a it feels like a frank decision <laughs> can we use that as a phrase going forward maybe oh, he's pulling a frank <laughs> but i think that's right though i think that's why i'm becoming less tolerant of frank because mm-hmm. he he is being given these way outs he's um, you know, even just I think you see at the start that Madani has taken um, one for the team here yeah. at the start by giving a false tale of her involvement to protect Pete. Um, yeah. And, and Marion brings this up again and you kind of like going, and now Frank. And I, I think it's why suddenly the, the whole conversation in my head was going, how would your deceased family have benefited if you kind of are like this and i know it's because of that it's do you know what i mean but it just raises the questions and i I think yeah he he becomes less sympathetic yeah for sure yeah but it is the punisher show and we totally understand that let's get on to our bullet point number five stopping the job the punisher way (laughs) yes but was it so i have one bit on this they run out into they run into the warehouse. Frank and Curtis get into the warehouse. First of mm-hmm. all, Curtis runs in there as well, or jogs. Yeah. So we'll get yeah. to that in a second because Frank stops him later on, yeah. blaming the leg. But anyway, do you think Punisher would have gone in a bit more? Oh, they're getting away! Bang, 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 bang. Versus, oh, we know where we're going. We'll follow them there. Where, like, I was just like, no, Frank, shoot, shoot. <laughs> like you could probably take out one of the the drivers with your just handgun at that distance, but yeah, no, that didn't happen. Well, that was what there was three cars in the setup, wasn't there? From the uh, from the plan that Billy had, so I don't know who was in the back car, but if it wasn't Billy, Frank wouldn't have taken the shot, I suppose. So, um, if if they're getting shot up, most likely they're going to stop and find out and try and take down whoever's. I I know I'm building plot holes here. Like it's, <laughs> it was just more. I was like, no, the Punisher would have shot first. I think anyway. the Punisher would have found his shot if he had a shot to take on Billy. Definitely, he'd taken the shot there if that was what he was doing. But uh, but no, I I think the setup of this really feels cool. It feels like something out of Heat. Yeah. Um, that idea of having the two gangs going up against each other while a job's going on. I think it's a really cool uh, way of doing it. It is a bit of a shame when poor Curtis is told to just sit in the car uh, by Frank as uh, as he goes out to to take down Billy and his gang. Mm. And as you say, Chris, it's because of the leg. And you see the face on Curtis when he's just looking at him going, this is the excuse you are always going to use every single time you don't want me to go with. You're just going to say, well, you can't come because of your leg, even though hmm. it's not like he's unable to move. We've seen him move. But he's saying to him, well, just in case there's a possibility that you have to run down the street after somebody, you better not do that, you know? Okay, that that could be, but I I really enjoyed Billy in the ready cash. Yeah, definitely. Like we really got to see Jigsaw with his full personality, 
with so it's really strange it's Billy 100% bad using that personality to intimidate but like almost side intimidate so he's talking to the manager forcing like trying to force her and convince her to open up but at mm-hmm. the same time he's actually convincing the two associates yes yeah. Um, it was really, it was uh, Lillian, I, I think it was the character. Lillian's the, the owner of the business, yeah. She's yeah. Uh, absolutely hilarious, really like her. I love when Billy does eventually come inside and goes, oh, I do like you, even though you are a pain. I do like you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it is a great um, sequence here, both the bank job and then the shootout. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing was like worst sniper ever. Um, on the top of the roof firing at uh, Frank. Um, yeah, he had the sight, army trained, marine trained, uh, not a shot on target. I mean, he didn't even fire it at the petrol tank of the car that Frank was hiding behind. <laughs> that was the thing. And, and then Billy being... I know that was partly for dramatic effect, but again, yeah. Billy not being hit. Um, again, I like the idea that... Frank wanted to get up close and personal, you know, a bullet, whether it's to the back or even to the front in this case, is not enough. I would think he would want to plunge that knife into Billy again. I mean, not only is this a nightmare for Billy Russo, and I love his reaction as he sees Frank take off Jake's combat top and there's the Punisher uh, outfit with the skull, still with Billy's blood, I really, really enjoyed that. But I, there was part of me thinking, well, this is the first time Frank has seen Billy as well since um, that mm. that moment. So equally, he wanted Billy to be this vegetable, effectively, um, to be sort of incapacitated and mm-hmm. bound and having to think about what he's done. Yet we see him here being fully functional. So yeah. I would say even for... Um, for Frank, it's a, a, a bit of a shock, you know, as much as it is for Billy. A little a little bit, but again, remember, Billy is thinking that Frank is his friend. Remember, he said the last thing he remembers was shooting the shit with all of his mates back in, back in the army, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he sees Frank coming at him wearing the Punisher outfit, wearing the skull on his, on his vest. Does Billy know that it was Frank in that Punisher vest that's been in his nightmares for all of these months and years? No. Have people told him that it is Frank, his old friend from the army? Because it felt like people were saying they kept that piece of information from him because Billy thought that Frank was dead or Frank wasn't around. Um, And then he sees this bit of his nightmare come at him and it's the embodiment of his best friend who is taking a gun out and pointing at him. Um, Frank only opens fire, I think, when the other guys in Billy's crew start firing at him. And that's why Frank starts putting them down one by one. I think the first guy to get it takes an Uzi out and starts shooting yeah. shooting bullets at Frank. And he gets a bullet in the head immediately. So uh, I'm not too sure exactly what Frank's plan is. I definitely feel like he wants to get up close and personal with Billy before he takes a shot at him. Uh, but he doesn't get the opportunity because the rest of the gang are shooting at him as he goes. You're right about the sniper. I thought that was definitely build up, build up and then it didn't pay off because the whole thing with that character was you kept seeing him over and over again. And Billy going, you know your place, don't you? Where do you think you're going to be? And then you don't see him in the job. And then you find out he's on the roof with this sniper rifle. Well, you'd assume that he was going to shoot at Curtis, maybe, and hold him down under hail of bullets, perhaps, or do something else. But he, he seems to miss everything. But maybe that's being kept for the next episode. Yeah. So I didn't under, fully understand the sniper. Like, I, I thought, as you guys, I was expecting a rocket launcher or, like, just something <laughs> over-the-top dramatic. Like... <laughs> Call the cops, would take out a bazooka, and that will 
like slow them down forever. <laughs> just a, but a really good sniper. I was like, nah, not like I. It, it was kind of underwhelming. But t- this scene for me as a total, like just like Franco Russo Russo, uh-huh. like that was just brilliant. Like it was really. And then, as you said, just revealing the Punisher mm-hmm. like costume, and I like yeah. it. I like it a lot because it is. He says it the first time when he's wearing the outfit that he took from Jake. He's saying Russo at lead, and Billy's just kind of going, "I'll oh, get out of here, man. You you screwed up. You didn't arrive on time for the job." But the second time he says it, you know that Billy's realized that's Frank. Yeah, yeah. Behind that devil mask coming towards him, like you know, could there be any more nightmarish thing coming down the street at you than someone in a devil mask who then takes it off and it's the thing that you've been waking up to every night in a cold sweat, wearing the skull of of, uh, of the Punisher. You know. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I think that's it. I. Th- I think because it's so intense, the Punisher, I do try and find sometimes the lighter side of things mm-hmm. here or, yeah, like, you know, the the sniper that can't aim, uh, you know, those kind of things. Um, but when he said Russo like that, I immediately, it, it transported me to Greece um, <laughs> and uh, Rizzo uh, within that. Where, so bizarre, John. Where one of the guys shouts Rizzo, who's his ex-girlfriend. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, just purely because you know we've seen knife in the hand, mm-hmm. we've so I, I was kind of like transported to a, a lighter place. I like it. I like it. <laughs> so I mean, I know it's weird that we've just referenced heat and grease uh, in the same uh, scene. I'm going to be referencing chip pan fire in a minute. That's exactly <laughs> where I was going. Oh, that was perfect. Um, I just kind of want to wrap this point just by going. This was, I, I know we've ref, referenced Heat, but for me, this was just really, a really tight scene. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It was just well executed. It was like enough action at the end. And then it just build up, build up, build up, build up, build up. Boom. That cut yep. for me. Yeah, excellent. It was just so jarring in a good way. Yeah. Like I would have expected, like, if they had of driven the car a bit more and then Frank smash into something and then they cut or Frank gets away or Frank loses them um, because he's driving away from the cyber and then like it's lived to fight another day and then we cut there. But that cut was just so good. It was the ITV ad break cut. For, yeah, for all of our uh, all of our English and yeah, UK exactly. listeners. It's the ITV ad break cut and it's always the one that go and Die Hard will return after the after the nine o'clock news, so you have to wait an hour between those ad breaks or something. <laughs> For us, it's days. There you go, fellow defenders. We know you all binged into the next one. We know you mm-hmm. did. We couldn't. Yeah, this was a tough one. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But those are our uh, top five bullet points. But there is one moment that we didn't talk about that I'm just going to stick into the notes because you guys have referenced it. So we definitely want to talk about it. Our favorite new character. We do a little uh, little gag bit over on our Gotham TV podcast that we've mentioned before, which is our favorite Gotham character of every week. Um, this is definitely my favorite new character in The Punisher. Wendy, the lab technician who works for Madani. Um, I love the interaction between these two uh, as she's kind of trying to explain to Madani why sometimes when you search DNA and fingerprints, you don't come up with someone. It doesn't necessarily mean the person doesn't exist because there are things called computers <laughs> where you can adjust that stuff. And if you want me to, I can match those fingerprints with that person's face if you want me to because I have the ability to do all that. I love how kind of she's trying to to be deceptive and she's trying to be um 
really smart in the way she's talking to Madani, but really all she's doing is a bit of hero worship with Madani. She's telling her how much she loves being involved in this project. And if you have any other work like this, please tell me because I really want to be involved. It's such a cool scene. Really good. Definitely. Yeah. And she's got Madani going, you're a little bit intense. Goes, yeah, that's what my mother tells me. <laughs> yeah. You live with your mother? Oh, any day now I'll consider moving out. Yes. <laughs> Just, it was so good. I really like this character and I want her to come back because I think what you get with this character is that a comedic element like it's not comedy yeah but it's comedic exactly in exactly. terms of the, the delivery and how you do it so i no, i i really enjoyed this and just the, the the explanation as you said of do you know what well like i can just put this character this character's name and put it to those prints like that's gonna work or just <laughs> even well they can just go in and delete people now and i'm like yeah that's what they did with frank <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> You should be used to this, Madani. You've done it, basically. Yeah. Uh, but it is a little piece of information we didn't know, I suppose, about, and keeping the pilgrim in there as well. We didn't see him in this episode, but um, just keeping the concept of what he is and the fact that there obviously are very powerful people involved in, in him and keeping him a secret. And why is a really good weapon for the Schultz? Because he's so invisible. He's know? Frank. Yeah. He's basically ex-army, yeah. ex-Nazi, neo-Nazi or something. And... They've wiped his record clean. They've given him a new name, and that's who he is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really, it's just really interesting. Um, any other notes for this episode? That's it. That's it. No, none from me. Okay, gentlemen, you know what that means. It's time for Do You Defend the Punisher? Yeah, I just thought I'd make it a bit more game show. First up tonight, we have none other than fellow defender, co-host extraordinaire, John. Do You Defend <laughs> Punisher Season 2, Episode 7? Yes, I give this four biting bed encounters out of five. A, a, a bit like Dumont on Billy Russo's shoulder. A little nibble here and there was a, a great thing in The Punisher. Um, I think for me, great shootout, great scene in, in the, the payday loan place. Um, certainly with Lillian, really nice um, sort of vibe to that whole scene and the confrontation with Billy and Frank. I really, really enjoyed Madani's storyline here. It was great to have Marion back in the show as well. And uh, I, I just really enjoyed how this uh, was put together all the way through from start to end. So I give this a really solid defend uh, for this episode of The Punisher. Chris, do you defend this episode of Punisher, episode seven? I do. Um, and that's the end of the game show reference, apparently. Um, just good to know. Um, I do 100% defend this. I know I was very a bit more negative, and I didn't defend the last episode. Continuing on with the arc, um, three-episode arc story, this is the first episode of the new arc. Um, yeah, see, that works. <laughs> You're going to ring that working. one out, aren't you? It's episode seven. New arc it's episode seven i don't think it's a new arc though <laughs> i am ringing this out a hundred percent blood from a stone <laughs> yes because it's frank castle he can get blood from anything um i really did enjoy this episode it, it was fast-paced it gave us some beautiful just cinematography alone in certain scenes mm-hmm. like the ptsd scene the the confession scene the, the 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 shots of when russo is scared and just so um, catatonic and then Frank is taking out the guys behind him to his left and right just that thought was brilliant yes um, so cinematography yes storyline yes we got uh, additional 
um, kind of plot lines being developed further. So as you said, like they even just kept us on up to date with the the Pilgrim investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, like just a small scene, which was fun, but they gave it a nice way. If I'm going to be negative, if you put a gun to my head and I had to choose anything, it's just the Harley Quinn, Dr. Dumont and mm-hmm. Billy uh, storyline that I'm not enjoying. Because of just as I said, it's been done. So unless they go slightly different, I'm or they just that's it, that's the end of it. I'm not too happy with that thread. But as Derek pointed out, Billy's most likely going to her now. He's, yeah. Next episode, he's going to be there. So they need to evolve the relationship. They need to evolve the storyline beyond that of she's now infatuated him and she's going to become the puzzle. Um, like that's, I see that going that way and I'm hoping I'm wrong. So yes, I wholeheartedly defend this episode. It was great start to the second half of the season. We're in the home stretch up to this point now and it's really kind of interesting how the next couple of episodes play out. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I defend. And Derek, getting back to our game show because I'm going to rub with this one because it's fun. Welcome. Do you come here often? Ah, nice to see you and a smile, smile, smile. Anyway, do you defend this episode of The Punisher Season 2, Episode 7? I absolutely defend this episode. This is my favourite episode of the season, I think, so far. Um, because of the direction in there, the writing in there, everything in there really just absolutely perfect. You guys have mentioned all of the major moments in the episode. Um and yes, having Marion and uh, Dina Madani up against each other, those two characters are so good on screen yeah. together. And I think this is, despite it having the big shootout between Billy and Frank, John, you mentioned it, this is Dina Madani's episode in this season. And we've kind of been wondering what's been going on with her as a character. We kind of felt like she's been put back in her box a little bit or wasn't as strong a character as she was in season one. This episode really lays it out really well. And she has some fantastic scenes. I really, really enjoyed everything she did in this episode, along with all the other cool stuff that was going on as well. Uh, top level episode of Punisher season two for me. Definitely. Yes. So, gentlemen, I think it's about time we move on to some episode feedback from our fellow defenders. Don't forget, if you want to actually give us your feedback, you can send us a voicemail over at our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com or why not send us an email through feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. If you're not into email and you want to keep it short at 180 characters, come on over to Twitter at DefendersCast. That's where you'll find us and all the latest info we have out or why not come join our group over on facebook because we why not join your fellow defenders that you can find us there at facebook.com slash group slash defenders tv podcast so gentlemen first up we got some feedback on episode six from Kristen hal she said i'm really loving frank and amy together she seems to be really good for him and vice versa. Frank Castle shows he's not just a killing machine in this episode, which I appreciate because this season he seems more disconnected than before with the revelation that Billy needs to be put down. Loving this season so, so much. And Ben Barnes is just killing it. He won't be recognised for this show, but he absolutely should. What a powerhouse of an actor. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you so much, Kristen. And yeah, completely agree with you. Ben Barnes has gone so far from his Prince Caspian days where... He was more just the the Mm -hmm. good-looking actor. Here he's really showing his acting chops, if you want to call that, his versatility, whatever way you want to call it. But yeah, I'm completely with you. I am now a Ben Barnes fan. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, everybody that's in here, from John Berntal, I think this is the best role he's ever done as well, you know. And I think, I feel like his work on this show has elevated what Ben Barnes is giving to the show. He did a great job over on... uh, over on 
Westworld as well. I really enjoyed his performance over there. Ben Barnes had a, a number of episodes, but not as big a character as he is in this show. This is really the two-hander between, uh, between Ben Barnes and John Bernthal. And some of the other actors really stand out as well, but love both of them. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to nibble, quibble, and ruminate with Ben Barnes? Um, definitely, uh, I really am enjoying his 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 scenes. I, I really like the idea. You know, Amy is that kind of um, calming voice to some extent with Frank Castle. So is Madani, for example, as well. Um, so it, yeah, it's really good to mm-hmm. to see uh, all these people firing on all cylinders. Jim Carrey responded to Kristen Howell saying, I agree. Amy grounds Frank and her questions and reactions are good to hear. In the past, Claire Temple gave this voice. Her arc towards acceptance and surrender combined with hard questions is really missed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no thanks, Jim. Claire Temple was that voice uh, of reason for all of these characters, um, to be honest. And I I think uh, it's good that she still is the in spirit within Amy for this second season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know that we couldn't guess the character back again. Um, Rosario Dawson couldn't stay in New York anymore. She'd been there for eight seasons of these shows and had to go back to her family. So, of course, they did have to write her out. But it is good that you have a character like Amy and a couple of the other characters pointing out, you know, the flaws in Frank's arguments. Because, as Kristen says, he is getting more violent, I think, and getting more disconnected in this season. Um I think he went a bit far in one of the earlier episodes this season. And I think there's been some viable alternatives that he's turned down. And I kind of hope towards the end of the season that he may have to pay some kind of retribution for ignoring some of the more reasonable uh, choices that were on the table for him. I don't think the show should be about, I have a gun and I can go out and kill anything I want to, um, even though it is the Punisher. I think it should have some consequences for ignoring the law and ignoring the other viable options that are on the table. So let's see how it goes for the rest of the season. But I'm liking the surrounding characters to uh, to Frank. Uh, on to some episode seven feedback. Uh, Kristen Howell also got in contact saying, my goodness, this was an incredible episode the entire time. It felt oddly like a Reservoir Dogs movie, just rising in chaos and intensity. And then that huge moment at the end where our first face off between Frank and Billy this season. So well done. I was not expecting the episode to end so abruptly in the middle of a car chase. If not for the credits, I would have thought my Netflix shut down. <laughs> Loving the season and so glad to be following along with the podcast thanks so much Kristen. yeah thanks Kristen. um yeah completely thought that my netflix had just shut down as well um <laughs> so uh but it was a nice jarring end um and and it felt right because um it's probably the same jarring sensation that billy got when he first came across uh frank again with that bloody bloody punisher top as well mm-hmm. uh, so yeah really really nice intensity to this episode absolutely actually just with her saying the reservoir dogs movie kind of um theory there it would have been good if frank started dancing to stuck in the middle with you <laughs> while he was uh he had stabbed jake's hand that would have been amazing just like dick dick again i'm not going to even try and do the tune um but yeah like it would have been fantastic i can see that yeah i can um, see that and i know i know exactly what you mean chris and the whole planning of the of the whole job going on with uh billy in the lead and telling everybody what to do some people questioning his motives some people attacking him all that stuff really feels tarantino as well i totally agree with you yes so that's all the feedback we have for this episode and you know what that means it's the end of this episode thank you so much fellow defenders for joining us on this journey and this journey with frank why not write a review of defenders tv podcast over on apple podcasts or spotify or anywhere you get your good or evil 
podcast catchers and share the love by sharing this podcast tell your friends about it do you know what it's we're halfway through the season we want to make sure we end on a high just like frank just like this episode why not tell them to go over to defenderstvpodcast.com and subscribe there because all our links are there we'll be back with our review of the punisher season two episode eight my brother's keeper next friday Mm -hmm. so watch this space listen to the airways and much like frank hold on just hold on. Who knows where that car is going? We don't. <laughs> we will in about 15 minutes. Thanks Yay! so much, fellow defenders. We will talk to you again next time. Yeah, as always, fellow defenders, thank you so much. I'm off for a bit of grease lightning. Uh, and when I'm back, I uh, will speak with you again soon. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Outside the payday loan business, Frank confronts Russo and his gang. And his gangam style. Well, wow, wow, wow. Outside. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> I'm like, that's not even close to the tune. Is it? No, it wasn't. And as I did it, I was like, well, I, I, I can't well. remember. This is like, okay. Oh, but gang gang style. Wow, wow, wow. I was like, no, that's like, that's not even that. That's, um,. The Jay and Silent Bob. And why he's such a good weapon, I suppose, for the. Uh, I was going to call him the Demonth, because her Schultz. name sounds really good. <laughs> That's a bad guy, doesn't it? And why he's a really good weapon for the Schultz, because he's so invisible. Okay, gentlemen, you know what that means. It's time for Do You Defend the Punisher? Yeah, I just thought I'd make it a bit more game showny. Game showny? Yes, I do defend this episode. I give it four biting bed encounters out of five. Um, biting what? Biting bed encounters. I like it. She nibbled. They both. Russo and Dumont. Okay. That was a good one. No, don't don't listen to your... I know. See, you're not knowing the story. (laughs) We're halfway through the season. We want to make sure we end on a high, just like Frank, just like this episode. Don't forget to tell them to describe... You totally should have gone for just like Jake. (laughs) Why? End on a high. Share the love? No, end on a high. Oh. (laughs) Uh, You can fix it in post. (laughs) Ha!